Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Bitter. Nothing personal word of the day. Today is Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. The word of the day is bitter. I don't really like that word. I mean, I guess it has to do with alcohol. So that is interesting. Bitter. Bitter to me is when somebody has done something, they feel as though they're not getting the right attention, the right credit. So they're bitter. They're angry. They're upset. They feel like they've been wronged. And then they feel part two of being bitter, bitter squared is when you feel you've been wronged so much, so often that you go full scorched earth. Many years ago, there was a top 50 player who's in the NBA, been part of this show a few times. Scotty Pippen, he's on the tour right now. So I think once George Clooney sold his tequila that he did with uh, Cynthia, Cindy Crawford's husband that sold for. $27,000 billion. Everyone's got their own alcohol now. It's a thing. It's like when people did a perfume. Remember when we reviewed Halston and he came up with a perfume and someone helped him with all the things that he liked to smell and how does this smell? Whatever. Scottie Pippen has a new bourbon. It's called Digits. So he's on the tour. He's doing media. And there's one small issue when you're doing media. There's really one rule, right? Don't do media when you have imbibed your own product. I don't want to say Scottie Pippen was drunk when he did media, but I do have to discuss what he said because it is a major accusation toward arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. There are people who say Red Arbeck could be the greatest coach. I think Red Holzman is the greatest coach, of course, the coach of my Knicks, the two World Series champions. It could be Pat Riley. He almost got a championship for the Knicks and certainly won it with the Heat and with the Lakers. But Phil Jackson, you could say he had great players, but he's gotten it done. So Scottie Pippen goes on a show yesterday and he's been asked questions about a statement he made. And I want to take you back to that game in 1994. Michael Jordan had retired, forced to retire. He spent that year away, played baseball. And in 1994, Scottie Pippen led the Bulls to a playoff series against the Knicks. The Knicks ended up finally beating the Bulls, going to the finals and losing to the Rockets. John Starks shot two for 18. Don't bring this up again. I don't want to think about it. But in one of the games between the Bulls and the Knicks, there was a last second shot. And Scottie Pippen famously refused to go in the game because his role in the last second shot was to be the inbounds passer. And the play was called for Tony Kukoc. And Scottie Pippen, the leader of the team, a potential MVP candidate that year, he literally sat on the bench. He didn't participate in the huddle and he did not go in. Phil Jackson saw he wasn't going in the game, put someone else in the game. Kukoc gets the last shot. Scottie Pippen goes on the air yesterday 
and says that the play call that Phil Jackson made was racially motivated and that Phil Jackson is a racist. And the reason that he called the play for Tony Kukoc is that Tony Kukoc is white. And Scotty Pippen said, I was the best player on the team. It was my team. It had always been Jordan's team. And he just sounded so bitter while he was saying it. This has been Jordan's team, but it was finally my turn. And then it was my moment. And he gave the ball to Tony Kukoc. And Dan Patrick, this was on his show. He didn't stop. He dug in a little more to Scotty and said, are you saying that Phil Jackson called a play for Tony Kukoc because of his color? And Scotty Pepin said, I'm just telling you that if you're going to say racial overtones are involved, I'm going to agree. And then it was brought up. What about the final shot when the Bulls won the world championship? And it was Steve Kerr. And there was a whole play called that was for Steve Kerr to hit the game winning shot. The current coach, the Warriors. For those of you who don't know, he used to be a player for the Bulls and he actually won a title, several titles, but he had a game winning shot. And there's a famous soundbite of Michael Jordan inside the huddle as they're calling the final play of that series. And Michael Jordan says to Steve Kerr, be ready. And so Dan Patrick said, hey, Scotty, that doesn't seem racist when he called the play for Michael Jordan. But Michael Jordan said, hey, Steve, you be ready just in case. And Scotty Pippen said, you don't get it. The cameras were on. Everything was being done by Michael Jordan for Michael Jordan about Michael Jordan and all of the documentaries he was working on come fly away with me or whatever it was. And all I kept thinking while watching this interview with Scottie Pippen is what happened to cause this bitterness. It was obvious that Michael Jordan is the greatest player in NBA history and Scottie Pippen was his Robin. And what can tear down a team is when Robin thinks he's Batman or when the accomplice thinks he's the star or when the second banana thinks that he deserves to be the number one. And then when you're the number one, you realize you're not a number one. You're really the best number two, which makes you still a great player, still one of the best players in NBA history, but a clear number two when you're playing with the best player in NBA history. Scottie Pippen got paid. Scottie Pippen had a Hall of Fame career. What makes him so bitter? And it got me thinking about players I've come across and what, why and what causes them to feel the things they feel. And it occurred to me, it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's about appreciation for what you believe is your role as an individual athlete on a team sport. And the psychology of it is something that managers have to deal with, presidents, GMs, owners. The fragility of players would shock you. These are people who have been told they are the best their whole lives. They've been the best their whole lives on the court. We remember what we always say. If if your son or daughter is not the best on his or her team, every team they've ever played on, they're not going to be professional athletes. So stop asking me or anyone else you know whether or not your kid's going to be that good. They've got to be the best everywhere. And then there's only a small chance they'll make it. So to be the best when you're a professional athlete, it means that you've been catered to. It means that you've got a talent that is out of this world. But with that comes a level of ego, a level of desire, a level of jealousy, a level of insecurity that doesn't get talked about a lot. 
And so when we're dealing with players, we have to learn, which is why we have a team of psychologists and why we deal with this more, more than I'd like to admit is how to deal with the fragility of egos. Because when you've got a locker room, whether it's a basketball team or a baseball team, you have no choice but to build that chemistry because winning doesn't bring chemistry. That's absolutely guaranteed, no matter what people will tell you, like about our 2003 team, bad chemistry. When we started winning, all of a sudden it was good chemistry. Forget it. Chemistry is something that you need nine out of 10 times. There's always exceptions, but nine out of 10 times, chemistry is what you need along with talent in order for there to be winning. And a coach's job is to make sure that the chemistry in the clubhouse, that people are not just getting along off the court because that doesn't matter, but that they're getting along on the court. How many times do we see, wow, Luca's not passing to Porzingis. The Mavericks are in trouble. Jordan's not involving Pippen. The Bulls are in trouble. I'm not, I don't think the latter happened, but that's an example. So Scotty Pippen does this interview. And what I was thinking is the bitterness of him is obvious. Do we have an obligation as a member of the media? And I never used to think about it like this because I was never in the media. I was always in the front office. If I'm doing an interview and I see that the person I'm interviewing is not of sound mind or is saying things that are so not just perplexing, but out of this world outrageous, do I have a job to stop it? Do I have to say to the person I'm interviewing, are you aware that what you are saying is going to create the following ramifications? And the answer is no. It is the responsibility of the interviewee to pay attention to what he, she, or they are saying. It is the responsibility of the interviewer to get the interviewee to say something that he or she does not want to say. It is the responsibility of the interviewer to get headlines, to get clicks, to get ratings. Dan Patrick's not above that. I'm not above that. Levitard's not above that. McAfee's not above that. Brian Gumbel's not above that. Any news interviewer is not above that. Oprah's not above that. You are trying to get people to say things they otherwise wouldn't say, and then you release it and you make a story about it. Scottie Pippen walked into this brick wall on his own. Dan Patrick helped because he kept pushing. Are you certainly saying that Phil Jackson was a racist? Can you imagine? Is that really what people are going to think? Well, the comments are that he was drunk. The comments are he's going through a hard time because he had a death in the family. The comments are he's not himself. The comments are he's bitter. He's angry. My comment, even though bitter is my word of the day, all I kept thinking of, of how sad I felt, how badly I felt for Scottie Pippen. There's not one person who's going to believe him and his narrative. Not one. But everyone's trying all the time to change their lot in life. That's something that you, we all do, right? We want more. Whatever we have, we want more. Whatever we do, we want to do it again if it felt good, if it is good. We're always on the road to trying to recreate a memory or a feeling or a thought that's positive and to put away and shut out anything that's negative. That's our goal every day. You had a bad day yesterday. The sun comes up. The sun will rise. No question about it. And what will you make of today? Well, you can absolutely change your future. You can change your present, but you cannot change your past, which is why we explain to people and to kids when we're giving talks around the country or when we're talking to students, when we're talking to employees, your present becomes your past immediately. 
like within 24 hours and you can't change it. But people still try. The number one example currently of someone trying to change his past is our old friend, Danny Boy. He's a content machine, Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington football skins. He made a move yesterday that caught my attention because it is so absurd that I laughed. Now, don't start getting upset thinking that I don't want women to be in high profile positions because I do. Women are just as capable as men. There shouldn't be a discussion about sex or gender, race. I don't know how many more times I have to tell you as the audience of Nothing Personal that I don't see color. I don't see sex. I see results. I see winning. I see losing. I see money. I see profit. I want the best people in the best position to do the best job to make me look the best because as president of a team, that's all you do is put people in a position to do their job well and make you look good when they do it. And when they don't do it well, you look bad and then you fire them and try to change the present and future, knowing that your past will be with you forever. Dan Snyder made a big announcement yesterday. He hired a woman CEO. How great is that? There is finally another woman CEO. Amy Trask, you're not the only one. Her name is Tanya. Her last name is Harding. Tanya Harding has been named the CEO of the Washington football team. And Dan Snyder is acting as though it's the greatest appointment in the history of sports. Yes, I'm glad I got your attention. It's not Tanya Harding. It's not even Nancy Kerrigan. It's not even Jeff Gilhooly. It's Tanya Snyder, his wife. He named his wife CEO. And he named her CEO so he could give you the following quote. We want to be an organization where people say, wow, they're the most diverse and the most inclusive. You think you're trying a little too hard, Dan, because of what's going on in your past? Do you think you're trying to get people to forget the fact that the Washington football team, when you were the Washington Redskins, forget the racial overtones of your name that you never wanted to change until you had to? Forget the fact that your limited partners want to sue you because of how badly you've done? Forget the fact that you named Jason Wright as the first black president. Forget the fact that you've got Ron Rivera as your coach, who's also diverse. Now you bring in a woman who's your wife and you say, this is how we want to be known. You think you're trying a little too hard, Dan, because of all the lawsuits? You think you're trying a little too hard because of the past harassment? You think you're trying a little too hard because of what you did with the calendar girls that you wanted special calendars made and photos and you claim you had nothing to do with it? You think you're trying too hard because the reputation of the Washington football team is that of losing, is that of the worst workplace atmosphere in all of sports? That you are known, thankfully now, as number one, the worst owner in sports? And you think bringing in your wife as CEO is gonna all of a sudden snap, it's changed. We're good now, we're diverse. We have equity, we have inclusion. But then he followed it up. When you give an interview and you're an owner, you've got to keep in mind what your reputation is and you have to bridge to a new day, a new dawn. 
Dan Snyder has a reputation, obviously, of being a misogynist, obviously, of overseeing an organization that is in all sorts of trouble, obviously, overseeing an organization that doesn't win ever. But then he kept talking. He said, Tanya has always been my closest confidant and most important advisor, but her role has outgrown such informal titles. The perspective she brings to this organization is invaluable, and I'm incredibly proud to recognize it with a fitting title, CEO. Hey, Coca, when did they get married? Can you confirm to me that Tanya Snyder was married to Daniel Snyder when Daniel Snyder bought the team? That's rhetorical. So Tanya Snyder was Daniel Snyder's closest confidant. Where was she when all the stuff was going on with sexual harassment and workplace harassment and all the other negativity that was going on? I'm just curious. My guess is maybe they weren't married. They got married in 1994. When did Snyder buy the team? Maybe he bought it in 19... I don't know when Snyder bought the team. I'm trying to think. I'm going to say he's owned it for 30 years. So it could be... He could have bought it before 1994. Coca, can you find that out? He bought it in 1999. So he's only owned it for 22 years. All right, let me get this straight. They married in 94. He bought the team in 99. They are a dumpster fire of an organization, except she's always been his closest confidant and most important advisor. Here's a question for you, Dan, if I'm in the press conference. Excuse me. When did she become involved? When did she become your closest confidant? Because you just said she's always been. So does that mean that she was okay with what was going on in the organization off the field? Does that mean she was in favor of the dance team and of the special calendar photos? Or was she unaware of it? And she was only the closest confidant in certain areas, like marketing or sales or the draft. I find it to be somewhat shocking that somehow in the effort to reinvigorate the Washington franchise in an effort to ignore and forget the past and to make the future and the present better that not one PR person, not Jason Wright, not one person in a position of power said, hey, Dan, let's take a look at what this is going to look like because you're going to look a little bit more like the McCourts than you want to. Who are the McCourts? Frank McCourt and Jamie McCourt. They ran the Dodgers together ran them into the ground and then had one of the great divorces of all time that caused the sale of the sale, the sale of the Dodgers. If you're a fan of the Washington football team, I got bad news for you. Tanya Snyder is your new CEO. Doesn't mean squat. It doesn't mean your team is one that should be emulated. It doesn't mean that they are now going to become the poster team for diversity, equity, and inclusion. It doesn't mean, as Tanya said, that we need to be involved. We want to be involved. We need to look at the past, close the door, and do things different. It's do things differently would be the right quote. But in any case, it's hard to change the past when the same people who are making the decisions are making the decisions in the present and the future. I promise Dan Snyder as an owner is going to be as meddling as he always has been, going to be as involved as he always has been, And everything else that he has done, including naming his own wife CEO, say it with me, folks, it's eyewash. It's nothing but eyewash. I used to specialize in eyewash. I used to love eyewash. Eyewash is when you do something 
that you think people will credit you because you're doing something good, but you're only doing it so people will credit you for doing something good. You're not doing it because it's the right thing to do. You're not doing it because you believe in what you're doing. You're doing it because you are in public and you believe that you will curry some amount of favor and some amount of love. Eyewash. It's pretty negative, that word. It covers all sorts of sins, though, doesn't it? When you wash the dirt out of your eyes, you squirt that stuff in your eyes and clean them out. Damian Lillard is on the Portland Trailblazers. There's some issues. Will he get traded? Will he not get traded? What will be his destination? He wanted Jason Kidd as coach. Jason Kidd said, I'm not going to coach there. I take my name out of consideration. He then signs a deal with the Mavericks. Becky Hammond was being interviewed by the Trailblazers, and I spoke on this show when I told you, and I was upset to talk about it because I'm sorry that it's the case, but here on Nothing Personal, we say it how it is. Becky Hammond was not going to be named the Trailblazers head coach under any circumstance. Just not ready. Sports is not ready for a female head coach of a male sports team, professional sports team. So Chauncey Billups gets named the coach, five-year deal. And all of a sudden, word gets out of a past indiscretion of Chauncey Billups, the kind of indiscretion that we're hearing and reading about way too often. Athletes who have a domestic violent past, sexual harassment, sexual abuse, just bad behavior, wrong behavior that comes from ego, it comes from power, perceived power. Well, people in Portland are none too happy. People are commenting on the Billups hire, saying that the Becky Hammond interview was all eyewash. As a matter of fact, women in Portland are now saying, at this moment, I feel unheard, one said. I feel like my feelings and opinions and those of the women I love and respect who have survived abuse don't matter at all. They dangled a woman's name in front of us to make us think she had a chance and then turned around and hired a man with rape allegations against him. And, you know, I am all about innocent till proven guilty, but I'm also all about PR. And the reality is that some people, when they are hired, even if they have an allegation that turns out to be true or not true, they cannot be the face of an organization. It goes against the Constitution. But again, in sports and in business, Sometimes what is perceived to be real turns out to be real. So Chauncey Billups has a problem. The Portland Trailblazers have a problem. The NBA has a problem. And all of sports has a problem because we're not falling for it anymore. All the minority interviews, all of the talk about not just Black Lives Matter, I don't mean the organization, I mean the movement, not just about diversity, equity, and inclusion, where everyone now has an officer chief of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're going to make a difference and we're starting now. And then you interview a bunch of people. Now, I grant you, Chauncey Billups is Black, person of color. So you can say, hey, we're diverse here in Portland. But what about women? What about violence against women? It is so common in sports. It's so common in the world. It's disgraceful. But people are trying. The Yankees are trying with women. They did something yesterday that got my attention. They, they let a, uh, a woman be a bat girl because she had wanted to be a bat girl back in the 1960s. And the GM sent her a letter saying, sorry, 
bat boys are boys, not girls. You can't do it because you're a woman. And then her daughter sent a letter to the Yankees and said, is there any chance my mother could be a Batgirl? Because now there's Batgirls all the time and your organization shut her down. And the Yankees took the opportunity to get some good PR. I want to read you something they wrote, though. It was pretty interesting to me. Brian Cashman said, some dreams take longer than they should to be realized, but a goal attained should not dim with the passage of time. I have a daughter myself, and it is my sincere hope that every little girl will be given the opportunity to follow her aspirations into the future. I like that. He's saying that he wants his daughter to have a chance to be a Batgirl. He's not saying that. Maybe he wants his daughter to be a chance to be a GM like Kim Ang of the Marlins. Maybe we're now finally seeing the inflection point where women are treated equally in sports. We're seeing more trainers, more assistant coaches, more hitting coordinators in the minor leagues. We're definitely seeing more women. Women are now referees in the NBA. That's been going on for a long time. There's even a woman umpire in the minor leagues, I believe. Never in the, not in the major leagues yet. There's women football referees, linesmen, back judges. I wonder whether organizations do it just so they say they did it. Isn't that the definition of eyewash? I think it'd be really cool if the Yankees did that and didn't get any publicity out of doing it. They just did it as a matter of course. Why does there need to be quotes about it or a story and a release, a professionally done release? I know why. Because you want to get the attention for your organization. I did that every time. It's funny. Now that I'm, <clears throat> now that I'm done with baseball, some of the things I do and some of the tzedakah or charity that I do, I do quietly. Some I do where I do it publicly. And I feel guilty when I do things publicly, like our nothing personal giveaway during the pandemic, where we did that every day for 100 days. We gave money away to organizations. I think about that. I think about what my role is to get more people watching and listening to nothing personal. And I start to think, am I doing it wrong? If I do something that no one knows about, but I do, that actually helps the person I'm doing it for. It helps me because it makes me feel good but it doesn't help me professionally unless someone knows. And then they can say, hey, look, Samson's not such a bastard. He may be totally normal. He's actually doing something nice. Let's give him a second chance and let's download, rate, review, and follow nothing personal. I admit it. I do it. Everybody does it. They just don't say they do it. We come back. I'm going to review a movie with Susan Sarandon and Kate Winslet that I watched the other day because I'm still watching movies. And then we got to talk about someone in baseball named Kyle Schwarber. You know him in Chicago, you know him in Washington, and the entire world is about to know his name. We will be right back. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name's David Sampson. You've caught me on a Tuesday. Yes, you have. It's June the 29th, 2021. We're almost at July 4th. We're more than halfway done. January, February, March, April, May, June. We are more than, no, at the end of June, we'll be halfway done with this year. I don't even understand how that happened. The COVID year of 20 seemed to go, seemed to take 10 years to pass. 2021 has taken 10 minutes. It was just New Year's Eve. So on nothing personal, you know, we do this. We talk about things that are happening that interest me, that interest Coca. Coca and I argue pre-show what to talk about. He puts some topics in. I put some topics in. And what comes out is a 45-minute show for you every day. I think at some point we're going to have to take a week off here, Coca. What do you think of that? I think we're going to do it. I think it's totally okay. I have this feeling, this is my insecurity, having just been in this business for a couple of years on the media side, that if we don't do a show on a particular day, that you guys are going to disappear. The whole audience will disappear. And I'll have to start from scratch when I come back. So that's why I don't take any days off. But at some point, right? I mean, Coca's losing his mind. He's been wearing the same shirt to produce this show for the past 100 episodes. And believe me, he wouldn't know Dove if it hit him in the face. So we watch a movie every day. I watch movies that make me feel good. I watch movies that make me feel bad. I watch movies that I don't know how they're going to make me feel. I watch movies that you suggest to me. I watch movies that I see that are suggested through some algorithm on the streaming services that I'll never understand, but they nail it more times than they don't. I guess I'm pretty obvious that I like drama. I like romantic comedies. I like things that make me laugh, things that make me cry, just generally things that make me feel because 18 years of baseball made me feel nothing. So I'm trying to get that feeling again. Ooh, that's a Barry Manilow song. Do you guys know who Barry Manilow is? I'm trying to get, I've been up, down, trying to get that feeling again. Blackbird, not the Beatles song. Blackbird is a great song. It's actually in the movie Across the Universe, sung by Evan Rachel Wood. It's also a Beatles song. But in this case, it's the name of a movie that stars Sam Neill, the guy from Jurassic Park, who doesn't like kids, as the father. He's married to Susan Sarandon, and they've got two kids, one played by Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet's husband is Rain Wilson, who looks familiar to me, but I can't place him where he is, but he's in the movie too. And the movie is fascinating. It's about Jack Kevorkian. Not really him. It's about taking control of your life and ending your life when you have a sickness that you do not believe you can recover from. Susan Sarandon suffers from ALS in this movie. And she brings her family together at their beach house for one final weekend because she's going to end her life the following day. And she's going to end her life because she wants to have control over her life. And ALS, I want to call out right now, Boog Shambi. He was a play-by-play guy, radio guy for us with the Marlins when he won the World Series. You may know him from the uh, ESPN, but now he is the uh, play-by-play for the Chicago Cubs, took over for Len Casper. He has raised tons of money for ALS. I want to call out my cousin, Alan Popowitz, who runs the New York chapter of ALS. 
raising a ton of money for a disease. You may know it as Lou Gehrig's disease. It basically goes from your head to your toes. You lose all ability to eat, breathe, move, and then your body, you just die. It is a horrific, horrific disease that require, that has no cure. And it's fatal 100% of the time. So Susan Sarandon is telling her kids and her husband, that's it. I am choosing today and I'm going to take a concoction that will put me to sleep and then it will look like I committed suicide because I don't want my husband to go to jail for killing me because it's against the law wherever they were in California. The reason I'd like you to watch this movie is I want you to have another example of saying that what you would do in a certain situation and then recognizing that you have no idea what you would do in a certain situation until you are in that situation. And people make a living on social media, whether they have a huge platform or a small platform. We all talk about, hey, if it were me, I'd do this. If it were me, I would have done that. I do that with sports. I don't say I would have done it because I've done it. When you spend 18 years doing it, you get to say, here's what I would do. But I would never opine as to what I would do if I had ALS or my partner or spouse or child had ALS. God forbid on all of it. I don't know what I would do. I haven't been there. The end of a great movie called Alive. There's a, here's a bonus review, Alive, directed by Frank Marshall about a soccer team that has a plane crash in the Andes and they end up eating the dead because otherwise they would die. It actually stars, uh, I want to say Josh Hamilton, but that's the baseball player. But for some reason, I think that's an actor's name. It also stars the guy who is in Indian Summer, the good-looking guy with dark hair. I want to say his name is Vincent Spano, but that's not his name. I don't know why that name is in my head. Anyway, it's a movie called Alive, and John Malkovich shows up at the end of Alive, and he talks about he's now a grown-up. The soccer player is played by a young actor, and then it shows 30 years later as an old man who survives. They get, spoiler alert, they finally get rescued, or they seek help, whatever, it doesn't matter. John Malkovich says, People ask me how I could have. Ethan Hawke wasn't alive as well. Thank you, Coca. He certainly was. He played Nando, I think. People ask me, would I have done that were I to be in that situation? And John Malkovich says, there is no way to ever know what you would do until you are confronted with that type of desperation. So when you're watching Blackbird, please, Think to yourself what you would do and then tell yourself, I hope I never have to find out. It's called Blackbird. No way to segue from ALS to Kyle Schwarber, is there, Coca? Maybe we can just do a wipe right now on, on, on the YouTube channel, Nothing Personal with David Sampson, or maybe we can go to another commercial or something because how do you transition from something as horrible as a life-ending disease to a guy who hits home runs like he's on steroids? I don't think there's a way to do it. So ready? We're going to count down. 70, 68, 69. Kyle Schwarber for the Washington Nationals has hit 15 home runs in the last 17 games. How do you, do you think that's a record? It's pretty unbelievable, right? Every time you look at a box score, he's hitting another two home runs. He's been a one-man wrecking ball. He's been moved up to the top of the lineup by Dave Martinez. The Nationals are a second-place team in the National League least. We talked about the Nationals with Max Scherzer and the fact that he's not going to get traded. Oh, my God, Coca. Time out. Stop. Stop. Here we go. Ready? Did you know Scott Boras changed his story when it got out 
and maybe they listen to nothing personal. I happen to know that some of his minions do listen to nothing personal and report back whenever we talk about poor ass. Well, we did talk about him yesterday with Max Scherzer or it was last week. It was either yesterday or last week. When we say that Scott Boris said, if anyone trades for Max Scherzer, the only way he's going to waive his no trade clause is if he gets an extension. Well, that got a little bit of negative attention since you know what Boris did. He said, I, I think you misunderstood. I didn't say it had to be an extension. It just had to be some sort of benefit for him to waive. But don't worry, the Nationals aren't trading him because they are very much in the race. That made me laugh. One of the reasons they're in the race is Kyle Schwarber. He is on a tear. Do you remember Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds? The, the steroid guys who were hitting home runs. Do you know that they hit 15 home runs in 17 games? And with all the proliferation of home runs, with everything that's been going on in baseball, do you know that not one player since 2001 in the last 20 years has hit 15 home runs in 17 games until Kyle Schwarber? And I did a little research, and it appears that Cub fans are despondent beyond repair. How could you be so stupid as to non-tender Kyle Schwarber? Look at what he's doing. And we've got a chance right now in the National League Central. If we had Schwarber, we would be a first-place playoff team, and maybe the, not the destiny, what's it called? The dynasty could continue. So I want to tell you what goes into non-tendering a player and why Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered and why the Nationals are not geniuses for signing him, that sometimes non-tendered players tend to work out for their next team. A player's non-tendered, what that means is you haven't become a free agent, so you're in the first six years of your career. You're past year three, where the team makes your salary, and you're in between year three and year six, where you either have to agree on a salary with the player or you go to an arbitrator and you tell the arbitrator what you want to pay him. The player tells the arbitrator what he wants to get paid and the arbitrator decides. Well, you have an option if you don't want to go to arbitration with the player. You can sign that player to a long-term deal. You can settle with that player. You can come to an agreement on a, on a salary or you can just non-tender the player, which means you are releasing the player. He is no longer your property. You don't get anything back for him, but you also don't have to pay him the salary that he would get in the arbitration process. The Cubs, with all the losses they had last year, had a payroll problem. Their payroll was too high. Their performance was too low. Remember, Bryant wasn't doing well. Rizzo wasn't doing well. Baez wasn't doing well. They're all going to be free agents. Who are they going to keep? Who are they not going to keep? And now all of a sudden, things are better for the Cubs. But Schwarber, if you recall with the Cubs, had that moment in 16, he got hurt, but he had that moment where he showed some raw power, but he is not good defensively in left field, better as an American League DH, better when there was universal DH. But without universal DH this year, the Cubs, who were told there was no universal DH, said, this is a player who we are not going to keep, so we are going to move on. Then he becomes a free agent, and teams say, hey, I would take that guy because I don't have to pay him what he was going to make in arbitration. And I'll take a flyer. Let's see what it would be like. We would do that a lot. We would take flyers on non-tendered players because that means by definition, if they're non-tendered, the team they were on thought that they were going to get paid more money than they were worth. So we could offer less money than what their quote unquote arbitration number was. And then we could say, hey, if it works out great, if it doesn't, it's a one year signing and we can move on. Remember the name David Ortiz? David Ortiz is one of the most famous Red Sox players ever. David Ortiz 
probably going to the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz was non-tendered by the Minnesota Twins. Does that make the Minnesota Twins stupid? No, it's part of baseball where you're going to sign non-tenders who do well for you. You're going to non-tender players who do well for someone else. You're going to non-tender players who end up being done in baseball because they're stink and they're done. You're going to sign someone else's non-tenders who end up still stinking. They're still done and you get rid of them. This is all simply part of the game. So I just want to make sure that people are, are with me here. Please don't start being down on your Cubs because of Kyle Schwarber. But if you have a chance to watch him, if you're a Mets fan, you may know Kyle Schwarber has hit like 29 home runs against you this year. And maybe you're wrong and despondent. I agree with what the Cubs did by not tendering him. I agree with what the Nats did by signing him. But no one thought Mike Rizzo cannot tell you, head of the Nationals. Theo and Jed Hoyer with the Cubs cannot tell you. No one expected Schwarber to be on this sort of run. I've never seen a run like it. I really haven't. All right. Oh, Coke, I got to go back to one thing. Excuse me. I have sort of a bit of a controversial wait to see. I'm so sorry I didn't mention it. I got distracted by something. We were talking about Chauncey Billups, and we were talking about the fact that he was hired by the Trailblazers. We were talking about how unhappy there are people in Portland that Becky Hammond wasn't hired, that that was eyewash. I've got to wait to see that Coca guarantees is not going to happen, but I have a wait to see. I don't think Chauncey Billups survives as coach of the Trailblazers. I think that this is going to get more attention, not just in Portland, but around baseball. And I think the PR load is going to be too great that they're going to have to move on from Chauncey Billups before he even coaches a game. I think the country is at a place right now when people are getting canceled so often, so commonly, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly, that Billups is going to have a hard time. Remember when Carlos Beltran was let go by the Mets before he managed a game? because of his involvement with the Astros sign-stealing scandal. By the way, the Astros are not banging garbage cans, and they've still the number one offense in baseball. Side note. Wait to see. Chauncey Billups does not coach a game for the Blazers. All right, let's go to the nothing personal pick of the day. Boy, I got it wrong last night. We're still 88 and 65. Been on a good run with basketball. I did not think Paul George had that game in him. Paul George lit up the Suns and the Clippers won a game five in Phoenix. They get to go home now for a game six. And when you're down 3-1, the mentality is simple. When we were down 3-1 to the Cubs in 03, very simple mentality. Just win game five. Then you get to go home for game six. In baseball, we were on the road for game six. But in basketball, you're home for game six. But it doesn't matter. Just win game five. And then all the pressures on the team up 3-2 in game six. Because if they lose game six and you tie the series at three, anything can happen in a game seven. The Phoenix Suns needed to close out the Clippers last night, and they did not even on their home court. Paul George, who I've criticized roundly as not being a good number two to Kawhi Leonard, as not being good enough to bring a championship to Steve Ballmer and the Clippers, I am standing firmly by that. But boy, did he have a game, and I'll give credit where credit's due. God, the Suns just got their ass kicked radiating 65. All right, I'm going to go back to baseball because there's a game that of note. I've told you, uh, you obviously know my history with the Marlins, and some of you think that I am pick against the Marlins all the time, and you think that I don't like the Marlins because of my personal issue with Derek Jeter, who I forgot to wish happy birthday to this weekend. I actually, when he was, uh, I'm going to go to my texts for, uh, I'm doing this right now live while we're on the show. I've been texting Derek Jeter happy birthday for a long time. 
And I want to just go right now to what the responses have been. Because it used to be when he was trying to buy the team, he would text nonstop and happy birthday. Hey, thanks. Let's get together. Everything's great. And then starting in 2017, right after he bought the team on June 26th of 2018, happy birthday. Hope you have a good day. No response. June 26th, 2019, happy birthday. No response. June 26th, 2020, happy birthday. Have a safe day. No response. I didn't text him in 2021. I finally got the hint. I don't think he's going to respond to me ever again. I wonder what will happen when I see Derek again. Anyway, so you all think I have an issue with the Marlins. I don't. They have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. They just can't score runs. They have a run differential of plus 17. They're 11 games under. They have a rookie who's won rookie of the month twice. Rogers, a guy, yes, we drafted. Sorry for people who think that we did nothing but hurt the Marlins, although we have a ring. I'm a little bitter about that. I'm bringing it full circle, Coca. No, I'm not really that bitter. I know what we did. <sighs> Trevor Rogers is his name, and he's pitching against the Phillies. The Marlins are in Philadelphia. Philly is desperate. Philly has the most blown saves of any team in baseball. Joe Girardi does not know what he's doing when it comes to how frustrated he feels about his bullpen. They tried to fix the bullpen during the offseason. Everyone said they did a great job, and their bullpen is just as bad this year as it was last year. They have had a major hard time winning games where they've had the lead. They've had a major hard time winning games, period. Realmuto's still hurt. They signed him, and we told you before the season started, they did not get better by bringing back JT as a free agent. They have not won anything with Bryce Harper. He's already in year three of 13. They have done nothing. I think they finished at 500 one of the three years, and that's it. And they are on course to finish below 500 this year. Coca, that may be a wait to see that I did previously that the Phillies will finish below 500 because I really do believe they are not a good team. But their pitching staff, it's a disaster. And when you have a bad bullpen and you blow saves, this is from personal experience. It impacts the rest of the team psychologically. The starting pitchers get angry with the bullpen. The position players get angry with the bullpen. They don't show them up on the field. But believe me, there's chirping that goes on behind the scenes. And the Phillies, Phillies are in the midst of some of the greatest chirping of all time. There are 21 saves right now, leads MLB, 21 blown saves. And they've got to go against Trevor Rogers and a Marlins team that is well below 500 in last place. But guess what my pick of the day is today? It's the Marlins. The Marlins are a better team than the Phillies. They have better pitching. They just can't score runs. But the Phillies, when you can't pitch and you don't have a bullpen, you're going to lose. The Marlins made a trade. Trades are starting today. Marlins traded away a couple of players. They're starting to shed payroll as they should. Sellers are starting to come to the forefront. Will the Phillies actually sell? Will they buy? Will they add to their bullpen knowing that they have a chance in their mind to actually compete in the NL East and to be a wild card, which I don't think the wild card is going to come out of the NL East, so you better win the division. The Mets who can't score but can pitch, the Phillies may delude themselves into saying, hey, we can do this. They may be able to, just not starting tonight. Hey, you better open your wallet, Mr. Middleton, and spend some stupid money because you need pitching. It's just business. This is nothing personal.